Talk Recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you're listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 403. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have my co-host, John White. John, how are you doing? Doing really well. Man, I just uh, got back from VMworld. Uh, you know, it seems like 48 hours ago, but it was, you know, probably double that, like Thursday last night. And uh, just uh, want to get back to the normal uh, cadence with the uh, color of the Bay Report as I drove over was, oh, my goodness, it was hot this weekend. That's what color it was. That's what color it was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I can believe that. I'm in the same boat. Back from VMworld U.S. It was an extremely exciting uh, show. We got a lot of activity going on in the VMTN booth with the VBrownBag sessions going on. But that was fun. But there was a lot of good momentum stuff. Loved all the announcements. Uh, interestingly enough, I interviewed like maybe 15 SEs, right? Because I like to talk to <laughs> SEs like yourself, right. John. And uh, a lot of positive feedback on the cloud announcement, right? Oh, the cloud. I thought it was going to be on me, but okay. Yeah. Cloud, but that was big too, yes. <laughs> well, I told you I'd give you those notes offline. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, would have, I would have got that wrong. I would have predicted that people would be like, mm, let's see, I can buy from Amazon or I can buy from VMware. Why don't I just go buy from Amazon? Right. right. But that's not what I heard. SEs came back and were basically full on, this is going to be great because we just want to buy excess capacity and have a plug into vSphere like we always have. So Yeah, well, I told you I was uh, you know, working hands-on lab, and uh, it, the, the report was, you know, going well on Wednesday while we did our podcast, the getting started with uh, VMware Cloud on AWS was in number three position and finished strong in yeah. number three. So for a product that was just announced, you know, nobody had any idea that, you know, while we were giving strong signals that we were going to, it was going to be an initial availability, um, you know, people went in and uh, they just pounded that lap. That was incredible. That was good. Well, another cool thing that we announced was Skyline. Um, and on the show today, we have Dale Ferrario. He's in the studio. So say hi, Dale. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yep. Appreciate it. And yep. I, I just got back from VMworld as well and turning around. And on Saturday, I'm heading back out there again to Barcelona. Dale is a VP in Global Services, and he works on strategy, engineering, and Operation. operations. Right? So, a uh, big guy in the studio today, although you know he's not a big guy. He's just a normal-looking guy to me, but uh, great to have a VP on. Always great to uh, welcome to our nice studio and welcome to the show. Can't wait to talk about Skyline. Uh, I'm a big kind of uh, data analytics person, especially with artificial intelligence showing up. I think that's interesting. We did a big push at VMworld this year with Alexa and integration into vSphere that we got, got going. So it had that at the hackathon. And just all the things you can do with automation now, right? Because really, this is all just data and automation, you know, allowing compute to automatically determine what to do and then have it do something. And I think that's kind of where we are with uh, with some of the Skyline announcements. Yeah, I think that's right. Huh? It's interesting, you know, we'll talk more about Skyline, but one of the things that Sanjay asked me was, now tell me more about the data you're collecting. I think this is our best chance as a company to really have big data. And so I think, you know, in addition to the capabilities it provides for support, it's going to really give us a chance to understand our customers better and have that data to do analysis that we've never been able to do before. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. Yep. Yeah. So uh, we'll get to that in a, after we get through the news here. Um, I know it's painful for everybody to listen to the news, but here we go. So uh, VMTN tech sessions at VMworld ran great. They were booked. If you didn't get by the VMTN booth with the V Brown Bag tech sessions, um, you missed out. If you're going to be in Europe, Katie, I know you're on the call. Um, how are the VMTN tech session registration doing? And uh, what did you think of the VMworld US response? So thanks, Eric. So for Europe, we are actually at 70% fully booked. So there's 70% of our sessions have 30 out of 30 seats taken. But um, what we saw in the US was really an electric energy around the customer presentations and the, really the lightning fast tech talks. We had people standing outside the booth coming in after asking us what was going on, talking to us, talking to the brown bag guy endlessly around how they get involved. So highly recommend coming over if you have any free time throughout the VMworld Europe conference or going online registering for the VMTN sessions because we do still have room and they're going to be great. We actually have one that we just added yesterday, which is from that is going to be delivered by Elsa there around how you can power blog somewhere. Um, so check that out, definitely. 
Ooh, how to power block. No. Power block, yep. yep. I, I'm probably not going to buy a, a ticket to Barcelona just to listen to that one, but uh, I'm going to try to catch the live feed or one of the recordings. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a neat session. We had that last night, so yeah, nice. looking forward to that. And, uh, well, and Katie, how many t-shirts did you guys hand out? I know we have some cool BMTN network program t-shirts with Blogbeat on it. Uh, I know you gave a lot out. You're going to have more at Europe, right? Yeah, we're going to have a ton of t-shirts at Europe. The Blogbeat t-shirts were going like hot t- hotcakes. We're giving out two to everyone by the end, um, and we ended up coming home with only a handful left. So definitely come check those out. And the VMware Code t-shirts as well were going like hotcakes. All right. So speaking of VMware Code, Tim, you're on the call. The hackathon went, and I know we're getting ready for the hackathon in Europe as well. How did it go? It went awesome. Uh, we had uh, uh, doubled the size compared to last year, uh, uh, about 120 uh, active participants and 15 teams um, hacking away all night. Um, this year we added pre-hackathon training sessions that were very well received, um, and some of those actually got recorded so people have a chance, people who weren't able to attend to now catch them online. Um, and we did have the, we registered the largest uh, increase in, in memberships in the VMware Code program since I started last, about a year ago. So it was a pretty successful um, week. Lots of excitement around uh, ex- extending, expanding on VMware and related um, products and tools and uh, all around good energy. Right. And I know we gave out um, 530 docs as part of that. And- no, to configure Equidots to do interesting things with uh, vSphere. So a cool event, and I know we're doing it in, in Europe. I know we've fixed the network router problems that we had, so uh, hopefully it will go a little bit smoother. The, 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 the Luxor and our networking issues uh, plagued us throughout the hackathon this year. We recognized that, and we did. me and William Lamb you know, went and bought bigger hubs, bigger Wi-Fi hubs, you know, <laughs> that $400 versions, and we got duplicate of them so we can have redundant impact into networking. Oh, nice. um, so, but it was all a fun event. So, Tim, thanks a lot for organizing that. And uh, I know we gave out the CodeFest uh, tie-dye T-shirts, which are fun. We're going to have those in Europe, right? Yep. And, uh, yeah, as of today, the, uh, the, the code, the, the hackathon in Boston is actually fully booked. We're, we're looking at uh, whether we can open up a few more slots, but uh, it's, 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 it looks like it's going to be pretty, pretty, pretty booked. Great. Hold I know on. we ordered this time for 100, 125 people, even though we only have 100 books, so we won't mess up the food order, and so that's, that's a good thing. And then finally, yep. uh, we'll switch before we get to, the, to Dale here. Um, Corey, the extra party, the pinball machine was a, a lot of fun. I know we were there, had a, had a great time. Thanks for everybody showing up. Corey, what do we got scheduled for Barcelona? Yeah, so Barcelona, we have uh, the extra party. It's going to be Tuesday, September 12th, and it's going to go from uh, 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Um, I don't want to say the address or where it's going to be. Um, it's for an exclusive VExpert invite. Um, I, VExperts, I did send it out in your email. Um, this afternoon. So you do have an email in there with the address, the times, and the location. I do want to say um, thanks to everyone who came out to the VExpert party in Las Vegas. It was absolutely by far the best VExpert party we've ever had. Um, I had feedback after feedback that everyone just had a fantastic time. And I just want to say thanks for everyone to making it it such a great night. Great, great. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody in Europe. I know it's a restaurant. I think we booked a restaurant. we're not going to tell you where, because then we'll get a bunch of restaurant crashers, uh, because <laughs> thousands and thousands of people listen to this podcast, uh, and I know you're all just going to follow us like groupies. But thanks, Corey, for putting that on, and uh, we'll look forward to the Europe one. All right, uh, anything else, any other announcements before we leave the news? I just have one comment. This is John. I, I have to say that uh, it didn't occur to me ahead of time, but uh, the VMTN booth is definitely the place to go if you're looking to accessorize your laptop with stickers. Um, everybody brought by their their cool stickers to, to accessorize, accessorize your laptop, um, and you know I picked up a bunch of cool ones. So uh, if if for nothing else, you know come for the stickers, stay, stay for the content. Yeah, I have two laptops, one that's stickerized and one that's not, and uh, stickers kind of started to drift out of favor again, right, for the clean look. But um, I felt pressured into it, so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna swing back, swing back. <laughs> okay, I think the cycle is going to hit really quickly. So, 
uh, yes, we did have the podcast booth. Uh, so Peter uh, DeLeon uh, was there the whole time, and we had people recording podcast booths. One lesson I learned, if you listen to last week's podcast, the audio is horrible because we just bought one, one mic, mic and put it in the center, and there was it's very echoey. So there, these podcast booths did not have foam wraparound. It was cheap, you know, a show baseboard right. that echoes like crazy. So I apologize for that audio from last week. Uh, Dirk was great. I did try to clean up in Audacity. I spent three or four hours cleaning it up. So um, you got what you got there. Um, in Europe, know that you should probably bring local mics so that you're right on top of the mic because you get a lot of echo if you're using that podcast. Right. Very good point. All right. Uh, will there be beans in Europe? Uh, Graham, no, there will not. Um, we took them last year. We shipped them all the way there. The network Wi-Fi was horrible. They didn't work very well. Uh, it's off hours, so if you're not in Europe, you have to beam in at uh, some really ridiculous time. What we could do um, is maybe put up a Skype station, so people that want to Skype in and say hello on a video camera. Uh, I'm looking into that, and we'll publish that out. So on Twitter, so because we we do kind of like to see people, that's fun. It's fun to have everybody beam in and drive around, but at the same time, it's expensive to ship them all the way there and all the way back when no one woke up at whatever time it is, 4 a.m. to be able to beam in and say hi. Ah. Yeah, so uh, we're not going to do that. Um, but thanks for everybody that beamed in. Um, it, it was fun to see everybody. All right, so. all right. Uh, going once on news, going twice. All right, we'll get to Dale Ferrario, Vice President of Global Services. Uh, Dale, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about how long you've been at VMware, before you came to VMware, what did you do, what's your career look like? So if somebody in the community, we have 3 million members, happened to run into you, they would, they would know a little bit about you. Sure. Okay. Um, so I've been at VMware for just over four years. Most of the time I've been at VMware, I've been in the VUs. This is the first time ever in my career, actually, I've been in a global services organization. Um, most recently, I came out of ISBU. I was focused on um, standardizing on our designs. If you know about VMware validated designs, and you sure. know some of the things that have. We've had Ryan actually, Johnson, some of the people come on talk about them. Right, perfect. Yeah. And so uh, that was my team before I came over here. Um, I joined Global Services because I really wanted to find a way for us to move from supporting products to supporting solutions. So if you look at the way Global Services tends to support our customers, uh, when you call in, they ask you what problem you're having and what product that problem is with. And more and more, you know, whether it's VxRail or a VVD or Cloud Foundation, we're selling our customers a solution, a set of products together. And I wanted to help us to think about how do we support that kind of an environment. Um, when I got there, I realized, hey, this is, uh, we have an opportunity to do even more. And we'll talk about Skyline and some other things that we're doing as well. Um, prior to that, um, I worked at Juniper Networks for a few years. I ran an educational nonprofit for a few years, and I worked for Sun Microsystems for 20 years. So oh, nice. I was there for a long time right. in software. I was in JavaSoft. Uh, I ran IT for a couple of years for software. So I've been in uh, most of the different aspects of running a software company. This, this explains a little bit. Aaron, we really need to, to keep a running tally. Like, is it Sun or IBM? <laughs> right, is, right. Like, yeah. How many people came right. from? Or like, and, and, you, and did you leave before the Oracle right. acquisition or after the Oracle acquisition? <laughs> it's funny because when we booked you, right, um, I, I went, Dale Ferrari, yeah, I've worked with him, with, with him for a long time. Right? Like, and when you said only three years, I'm like, that's weird. I thought I thought I've known you for way longer than that, but that, I'm from Sun Microsystems. And so ah, there we we go. did Big Admin and we did some stuff. Yeah, and I, I think remember somewhere that, along man. the line, uh, you ended up with some of that, or, yep. or and so that's where you're there from. You so go. when you said that, I got, ah, got that. The, yeah. admin, the old days of admin. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, well, well, yeah, nice, nice, nice background. Um, and it's kind of interesting that you're in uh, global services now, and you bring in that perspective of being all over the company and right. working. And I think that's a big reason why um, I moved over, and Scott and Ray were both so supportive. Is they really wanted a different perspective, you know? So spending all your time in building products, it's really nice to be able to look at how the support organization works. And really, my role has been how do we drive innovation into the way we support our. Right, right. Um, what are the what are the, what are the top three things you've discovered about global service that you like, and what are, where are some areas that you can add value? Oh, the top. Well, I'll tell you that the top one, far and away, you know, the people in global services really, really care about our 
you know, they will bend over backwards. They will do whatever it takes to make sure that our customers are successful. Now, every single one of them, they are people-oriented, and, you know, they, they will spend as much time, as many hours as it takes to make sure our customers are successful. So I think far and away, you know, that is, I would say that's the number one um, thing. Uh, what I'd say on the where can I help, um, I really, like I said earlier, is I think that the technology platform on top of which we run has aged. The versions of our phone system, you know, the versions of Salesforce, mm. uh, we're just not mm. leveraging technology to, to its fullest. Right. Um, and I really want to jump in and help us to figure out how we can scale and how we can provide an even better experience for our customers by leveraging technology. It's interesting, too. There's two interesting things you, you, you mentioned there. And the, the one is that um, VMware is a relatively greenfield company, right? We, we really got going around 2003. And our DNA hasn't learned how to refresh the technology. Right? We learned how to buy new technology because we're a brand new company. So we implemented all kinds of new things, right? But now those new things that we implemented in 2005 and six and seven and eight are now 10 years old. And there's this, there's this new skill that we have to learn as a company. Uh, going back to some of these technologies we've bought and how much money and how much time does it take to replace those or upgrade those and bring us up current? I look at Jive software that we run for our community platform, right. and it's like it was great when we chose it in 2005. It was the hottest thing around. Uh, now it's 10 years, 11 years, 12 years old. Is it good enough? Uh, how do we how do we move forward with? It? Yeah, we, I think we've also tended to uh, customize, and that's not that's not only VMware. We did the same thing at Sun, and Juniper did the same thing. We tend to customize. And it makes it really hard for you to move right. forward. So right. Salesforce, it should be as easy as, you know, hit the upgrade button. It's never that easy. It's all of those systems that are built around and leverage interfaces that make it hard for us to stay current. But as a result, and especially as we move from being more or less a single product company to solutions, now to SaaS or to cloud, there's so many things that need to change that the technology platform is kind of holding us back. Right. right. And then the second thing that I find interesting uh, is what I found when I came to VMware as well. VMware is a very much a yes company. Right? Like when we were at Sun, if you wanted to do an idea or implement something, you had to go to, through a committee, an arc of some type or another. There was always a committee that you had to go through. It took us six months to get through a committee, get approval, and then a budget committee. And it seemed like we were, we're not as bad as maybe IBM, but there was certainly this, it was a no unless you can prove you, you want to do it, right? At least that was my experience, right? When I came to VMware, all the people are great. Everybody's great. It's like going from a small university campus to a big university campus. There's so much that you can do. There's so many people saying yes. So you actually have to kind of figure out what you want to do and prioritize because there's so many yeses all over the place that you, you get lost in the sea of yeses. And I think that's really neat about VMware. I like it. I, I agree with you. You know, and I, I even say uh, I have to be careful what I recommend back to Scott because oftentimes I'll make the case for what we want to go do and I'll say, okay, go for it. And it's hard. You can't. I mean, you you then have to bring the rest of the organization along. You got to go get it staffed, and you know. So I, I agree with you. I think. Yeah. But but on the on the very positive side of, of being kind of a, a really supportive organization, when you uh, rally the troops, when you say this is where we want to go, you get everybody jumping in, and they're all in, right. and they're there to try to help you make sure it's successful. So it's, it's been an incredible experience. Right, so so we heard about Skyline and the in the announcement, right? Um, so maybe you can just take us through the uh, the elevator pitch of what is Skyline. Okay, so there's a couple things that if you think about the way we've supported our customers for years, it's primarily break fix. When a customer has a problem, they'll call us. Maybe they'll go to the web and they'll file a ticket. But it really is when they run into that problem, they'll come and ask us for help. What we want to do with Skyline is we want to get ahead of that. We want to identify problems in our customers' environment before they ever hit them and proactively notify them so that they can fix that problem before it impacts their environment. So that's the number one thing that Skyline is all about. The second thing is when a customer does call in, we oftentimes have to ask them, upload log files, help us understand what your environment looks like, and that takes time. It takes uh, a lot of back and forth. And what we would love to have is we love our technical support engineers to have visibility into our customers' environment so that right there they can identify the problem, they can provide a fix, and get their, their, our customers back up and running. So those are really, uh, for me, the two biggest things is it, it enables us to do proactive, preemptive, and predictive support 
and it improves our ability to do reactive support. And our customers uh, that you've, you've reached out obviously have some dialogue with customers. Do customers find this interesting? <laughs> I, I can't imagine a better, you know, I, we were talking to my own team at VMworld in Las Vegas when we launched this, and one of the, one of the people said, a thousand percent of our customers love it, every <laughs> single one of them, right? I mean, if you think about it, what we're telling our customers is we can help you. We can make sure that before you run into that problem, we notify you. I mean, if you think about that, it's nirvana, right? Let's make sure that you never have that problem. Now, when you do have that problem, we can also learn from it, and we can notify all of the other customers who have a similar risk in their environment, make sure that they don't run into that problem either. That's not so, right there. That's, that's it's unbelievable. I, you know, it, I, it just makes me smile when you talk to a customer. They're like, when can we have it? Can we turn it on today? You know, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what we want. Do you find it more difficult for customers to then manage the debugging process because it is a multi-product domain now where you do have NSX, you do have vSAN, you do have, you know, compute ESX, right, where all of a sudden now I, as an IT admin, have to really learn all three of these products and not just using them, but to debug. And so that's where I could see that I start looking going, I need help with this because I can't, I really can't learn a deep enough dive on each of those three and then know the interaction. So you get some of that as well. Absolutely. So, I mean, a simple example is you run into a problem, maybe it's with, with uh, ESXi, and you need to understand what else is in your environment so that if I make a change, if I upgrade, how do I make sure that it will work with everything else in my environment? It is really hard for our customers to understand all of the different, we call it combinatorics, the different ways that you can deploy products, you can configure them. I mean, it's, it's complicated. And what we really want to do with Skyline is we want to help you. We want to identify those kind of known patterns, known good patterns or known bad patterns, and let you know. That way you can get yourself back into an environment that's stable, like I said, a known good environment. That's really yeah, that's pretty amazing. I, I have to say that, you know, every interaction I've had with GSS has, has almost universally been positive, right? Um, but one of the, the customer complaints is, you know, a lot of the times the people that are calling into GSS are acting as support for their internal organization. So they're very suspicious when somebody says something like, I want to see logs, because, you know, they have maybe an internal metric like, you know, they're following ITIL and they, you know, say, oh, well, you know, one of the things I battle internally is like somebody saying, oh, I need logs. Oh, I don't need to talk to that person for 24 hours now, right? So um, there's getting past that and to be able to say, no, that's not an issue. That's magical, right? That's, that's magical. Like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm already looking at what's going on with your environment and I already see something suspicious for, you know, give me a couple hours to really, you know, park through some interactivity. I have some suspicions already. That, you know, that just take, cut the suspicion loop like right out of it. Right? Yeah. And another thing that happens oftentimes is, you know, a customer will say it was working yesterday and now it's not working. And we'll ask them, you know, what did you change? And they'll say, well, we didn't change anything. Well, actually, a part of what Skyline does is it streams up the interesting changes. So a TSC can now see what changes actually happened in your environment. They can kind of roll back and see where those changes happen. Oh, there's the change you made, and that's the one that created a problem. So not just you know being able to sort of scan a log file, understand that environment, but to see the changes you made in that environment gives the TSE in that case so much more of an understanding of what's been happening and what caused that problem. Those technical support engineers, I have so much respect for them as well. Like uh, it, it's funny, they I talked to one once on uh, during a customer issue, and they said. I mean, you guys see the products, you know, the way they're supposed to work, and we see them when they're not, when they're misbehaving, right? So, in order to empower those people to give them all the information that they need, I mean, they're already great, but then to add that additional layer of background and context about the customer environment, so they don't need to ask those questions and, and you know, tease it out of somebody, or you know, that person who called in maybe doesn't know about a change that somebody else made. I mean. Again, just empowerment all the way around. And the other thing it'll allow us to do is it'll allow us to also, from a, from a TSE or a global services perspective, get better feedback back to the business units. Here's actually how the customers are using the product. Here are some of the ways that they're configuring it. And, you know, by having that big data, the example you mentioned earlier, big data, really understanding how many customers have deployed it in a certain configuration 
that's going to be powerful in giving that feedback back to the business units to help them prioritize the work they do, either in fixing problems or testing or whatever it might be. Configurations that, I mean, even just gross information like what version they're on, yeah. right? What patch level of that version that they're actually on, um, as opposed to what's in the licensing portal, you know, some, you know, in, you know, formal or informal surveys, you know, to, to get hard data on that information as opposed to hand wavy, like we think this is where everybody is, that's, that's got to be powerful for the business as well. Yeah, so I think it, when, when we talk about Skyline, of course, I talked a lot from a support perspective, right? But this data is going to be important to everybody. You know, the SEs are going to want this information. Um, the, um, the, the BUs are absolutely going to want this information. The TAMs, you know, having deep visibility into your customer's environment, the professional services team, Matt Zapansky, by the way, he came from Global Services before he went over to run uh, Global Professional Services. This was his project. So when he moved, he's looking at how can professional services now take advantage of this data as part of providing their services. Right? Understanding right. the customer is going to be incredibly important. What is the state of the customer? We make a set of changes or we do a deployment. Let's also make sure we understand the state of the customer at the end of that. And I can, I can even see something like you know statements of work for uh, a professional services engagement would be easier to write Absolutely. if we have, you know, Skyline and the customer, right? So, yeah, goodness all around. So, on the front of reference designs and Ryan Johnson and, and what they put together, how willing are customers to adopt that? Because I think that's part of the platform so that if we have, you know, specific architectures that we're monitoring, then the data that we're pulling in actually matches everybody else's data because we have a, yeah. a reference architecture design there. Is that the, is that the strategy? Yeah, so I, I think every customer I've talked to, ultimately they don't want to have a unique environment. Most of our customers just say, you know, I want to do what everybody else does because they also understand that that's a lower risk environment. Now, how do we get them there? You know, VMware validated design was an effort to really document what is that you know, recommended design, and a recommended design that continues to evolve, so I can move from a version of that to the next version. But in between, how do you make sure that you stay consistent with that design? That's really where Skyline can also help. We can write a set of rules that are in the back of Skyline that ensures that you stay consistent with a validated design. If you make a change and now you're no longer consistent, we can then notify you, by the way, that change you just made, that you're deviating from our recommended design. We've had a hard time doing that in the past. Right. So yes, this will really help us, first of all, make sure you stay consistent with those, those designs. And the second is we might start to learn from our customers what is a good design, what is a really good scalable design. So that's where that big data Ultimately help. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing that if you can watch the data, you can watch performance metrics, you can watch all kinds of things, right? Then you can kind of start comparing it across, you know, and you'll learn, and you'll learn, you'll learn, learn what, what is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, VMware validated designs, you know, that is, any architect will tell you that you have to be dependent on the inputs, right? Uh, the constraints that the customer has in order to, to drive a design. So, VVD, VMware validated data designs are, are based on a specific set of, of input constraints, right? So um, if we have Skyline and all our customers, you know, or, you know, big enterprise level customers, at least to start out with, um, then we'll see, you know, some real world uh, design based on, and then, you know, hopefully we can go back and deduce the, uh, the right. constraints that those right. customers had that, that drove those designs. That's right. That's why I kind of say a pattern, right? We'll start to see good patterns and bad patterns emerge, and we'll be able to start to use that to help our customers understand whether they're on the right path or not. It's, you know, a single design, and even though VVD will continue to, to grow and, and become a larger set of designs, it will never cover every one of our customers. So how do we help our customers by knowing this is a good pattern or a bad pattern? I think, you know, Skyline will help you with that. And I think there's, a, there's actually a need for this, or at least my assessment, AWS and others are already doing this in the cloud where they have standard footprints, right? And right. you just consume that standard foot, footprint. So from a data center perspective, this is actually a healthy thing to start replicating standard footprints because it's more optimal, right? right. Uh, you get a larger buying scale, you get, you, know, you get more people doing the same thing. Um, 
company helps Dell and some of the hardware vendors as well. But it, I can see I can see where you know AWS has pushed this right. You don't you don't tell me you want XYZ server matched with this storage unit. You just you get the package, you buy the package, consume the package, and that's what we worry about. Yeah. So in some ways, you know, we've talked about on-premise, you know, your private cloud and then the public cloud. Right. Well, when a public cloud is managed and your on-premise cloud is really managed by you, we can give you in a lot of ways visibility and some of the same capabilities on-premise as you get in the cloud. And as you think about where our business is going, our customers will be in both. We really need to give our TSEs, our support engineers, visibility across what's on-premise and in the cloud. Because you may have some cases where it, ha it is happening, you're having a problem between those two. So again, understanding on-premise, being able to have visibility into the cloud and looking for those patterns, good patterns and bad patterns are ultimately going to help us be proactive and then be better reactive as well. Is Skyline, uh, you know, going to start being offered maybe as a service as well? Like I, I can see kind of an advanced service package where I can sign up for Skyline and just going to, it's going to do a lot of the type of monitoring and service type of stuff that I might have to have done in-house. Yeah. So I like to talk about Skyline as a journey, right? We have taken the first big step in a journey, right? As when we were starting out America's only premiere, we will expand next year into uh, EMEA and we'll start to add more products. We're also vSphere and NSX initially as well. So we'll <laughs> add products. We'll add geos, and then we'll go from premier to production as well. So we're starting down this journey, and it's going to take us a while to get all of those capabilities built out. But, and I think we haven't talked about this yet, but it's, it is included in your support offering. If you have production support or premier support, you will get Skyline as part of that support offering. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. I, for some reason, the impression that I had was if it, you had business critical support, or mission critical or healthcare critical. So we're starting with Premier. So okay. we're starting with BCS, MCS, and HCS. Right. But, but oh, we sorry. will. That's what you meant by Premier. Yes. You're talking about the Premier, Premier services. Yes. Okay. Sorry. So yeah. So BCS, MCS, and HCS initially that's our target, but we will early next year expand that to our production support customers as well. So any of those customers who have a support agreement, the support entitlement. We'll have uh, Skyline will be a part of their support. So the reason I mentioned that is well, a couple things. One is this is a journey. We're getting started. Like I said, we're vSphere and NSX today, Americas and BCS, MCS, HCS. We'll add NSX support later this year. Early next year, we'll expand to EMEA, and then we'll also expand to production customers. So, um, so this journey that we're on is going to take us a bit of time to fully flush out all of the capabilities of Skyline. At the same time, we're going to continue to build out more and more of the rules on the back end, these good and bad patterns, so that we can start to provide that proactive support for our customers. And then when they do call in, better reactive support. So maybe somewhere way down the line, we can move just to a Almost like a knock, a managed service. That's right. Yeah. So you know, getting at. We'll maybe we'll get there. One day we'll have a VM knock I, service. But that is, you know, to me, that's, that's a couple of years down the road. I think, right. you know, we have so much opportunity right now to focus on that proactive capability. Right. You know, right. that's what we're going to be focusing on in the search. Crawl, walk, run. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And this is a big first crawl. <laughs> so, so a crawl space and, and AI. Do you got any AI going on in, in, you know, in analyzing the data? Yeah. So, so on the back end, as you can imagine, once we turn this on and start onboarding customers, the amount of data that will be coming back to us will be amazing. You know. So we built a, a kind of an AI engine and, and uh, um, pattern program. You know, really allows us to write rules. The set of rules initially that we'll write will be against you know, those configurations and it'll help us to identify a problem in your environment. But what we will also be doing is taking this data and giving it to our analytics team where they can start to do some advanced analytics and start to help us look for, like I said earlier, maybe those good patterns, those not so good patterns, and continue to evolve the rule set that we run as we learn more and more about our customers' environments. 
I like that concept. It's like augmented AI, right? Uh, AI with a human behind it, right? right that's actually right. looking at some of the stuff and then you know, adding human intelligence on top of the compute data. Right. So I'm going to ask, you know, what's probably more of a roadmap question. And I know that this project has been in place, you know, probably for over a year, uh, maybe even more than that. But in uh, the spring, we acquired a company called Wavefront, right, which does sensor analytics and has like a really, you know, Amazing demo where they, you know, pick out uh, configuration issues and, and even like hardware faults. Um, is, is that something that you see with rolling and maybe augmenting this offering, or is it too early to tell? Yeah. Let me let me answer a couple of different uh, aspects of your question. The first thing is this project, the way this project got started, was Scott Dato pulled a couple of his really strong engineers out of their day job and said, "What can we do?" going to leapfrog the competition that's going to get us moving forward. That was probably about two years ago when we did that. The team then went through four different sort of proof of concepts to get to the point where we really had the foundation for Skyline. Now, each of those proof of concepts got better and better as we learned, you know, what, what can we really do with this technology? What can we collect? What's the back end of the, of the system going to look like? What's that rule, the machine learning platform? So that, that team got to the point where we had a really good proof of concept. We then went and brought in a whole bunch of engineers, a whole bunch, small team. My, my team will, will react the wrong way if I say a whole bunch. We brought in a team of engineers to turn this proof of concept into a real product. So we had to go through all of the regular uh, VMware processes um, running on Photon OS for our um, appliance. Um, doing security and penetration testing, doing open source scans, all of that to productize this proof of concept. So that's what we've been doing over really about the last six months to get it to that point. So what we have now, as I, as I mentioned earlier, is we're at the beginning of a journey. We will continue to build out more collectors, add to the rules, and then expand uh, the number of customers that we can deliver and products that we'll support. So that's, that's kind of the, the path that we've been on. Now we have to figure out, okay, what are all the other things we need to do? We need to make sure that we're really aligning tightly with the VRealize team. We want, when um, Skyline is deployed, we want VROps, for example, to be more powerful, to give our customers additional visibility because the Skyline data is there. Mm. We also want to make sure that if you look at what vSAN is doing with some of their in-product support capabilities, we're going to connect those together with Skyline so that we can help them and they can help us to make sure that we're giving our customers the best possible guidance, whether that's in-product or through Skyline. And we're looking at you know, some of these other technologies and how can they help us to continue to build out a stronger and stronger platform. Well, that was a better answer than the question I asked. <laughs> the other question was the right trigger. Awesome. Um, other thing that uh, we're chatting online here about is uh, how comfortable are our people? What's the connection back into VMware? How are we collecting this data? It, it's encrypted, I'm sure, or whatever that, that connection is. And then how comfortable are people collecting? How much is VMware selling the data? You know, all the, all the, the data collection kind of standard things that people worry yeah. about. Yeah. So, uh, this is a really good question. We could spend a long time talking about it. I'll try to give you the simple summary, and then we'll make sure maybe in the notes we can put the links. So from the very beginning, we thought about security. We have to make sure that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when we build the collector, we're following all the best practices in VMware. Um, you know, we've done the security and open source testing and all of that. Um, we have, you know, we make sure that all the data that's sent back is encrypted, and we have it. Um, today, it brings it back into the back cloud, the phone home cloud. So it's stored in a secure location, just like any of the other uh, telemetry data that we have. Um, I think there was another piece of your question. I think it's the, the privacy. privacy, right? So there's yeah. people who upload logs today. You know, I asked the question of one of my customers, do you obfuscate that data yeah. before you upload your logs in a and they said no. no so the answer is no. So, so what we're doing is, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is we've made sure that we're GDPR compliant from the beginning. Now, we haven't gone live in uh, EMEA yet, but we have followed all of the right processes to ensure that we are following those, those uh, requirements. Um, and that will allow us 
uh, early next year to go ahead and turn this on. Now, what do we do with the data, right? The data is really intended for us to improve the product and to provide support. We are not selling this. We will never sell this data. And actually, we, we collect very little PII, personally identifiable information. The only two pieces of data that we collect that are personally identifiable is your IP address and your host name. And we collect that so that we can help you in providing support. We don't collect anything else. We don't look at the VM and what's inside the VM. We don't collect any of that. Nice. Okay. So I think that, like the, you know, I think some people are concerned, like, you know, hey, um, there's aggregated data. Is it going to be sold to, you know, one of my competitors or, you know, like the virtual machine names? Uh, yeah. So that leak out. So stuff. one other thing I should also mention as part of GDPR and as part of being compliant, you have to name a data trustee. That data trustee has to approve anyone who has access to that data. I am actually the data trustee for all telemetry data for the company. So before you can have access, there is a very strict process for how you ask for access and how you are approved or not approved to have access to that data. And that's all, again, aligning to the GDPR process. Right, we said GDPR a couple of different times. That's the General Data Protection Regulation from coming out of Europe. Yeah. Yeah. I think a, uh, a per incident violation of that rule is 4% of net revenue for the company. Yeah, we take it very seriously. So that, that's a big deal. <laughs> Dave Simpson asked, uh, um, aren't big companies already signed up for TrueUp? TrueDashanti, does that make sense? You know, I'm sorry, I, I've heard of it. I don't yeah. know the answer to that. It's we probably a forerunner, that. right? I don't, I don't know either. So um, maybe that. Dave will ask uh, in, or to inform us. As in TrueUp licenses, Still don't know. Yep. Are you talking about you know what we do around? Um, I think I understand actually. So um, when our customers buy um, their products, right? Like we talked about earlier, we know how many licenses they purchase. We don't actually know how many licenses they're using. We could use this data to help us to understand whether they're using some or all of the licenses that they. Um, so I have a feeling what he's talking okay, about is so Microsoft. In response to the mentions about the BSA. Yeah, so, yeah. so I know Microsoft, for example, will come in and do an audit yeah. and a true up to say how much, how many licenses are you using and how much are you paying. You know, I don't know whether we'll use it for that ultimately or not. One of the things we are intending to use this data for is to help our customer success team to better understand whether you've bought products that you're still not taking advantage of. And we can then go in and say, you realize you purchased your ops, for example, and it doesn't look like you've deployed it yet. Do you need some help in you know, getting the value out of the product that you purchased? Yeah, there's definitely a value play here because if you look at maybe a quarter of our software that's purchased in enterprise license deals and being generous there, maybe it's 50%, don't actually get deployed because there's just work in deploying and managing and getting this all right. So there might be a play here in that if, if, if you have good, you know, debug capability built into our products that it makes it easier to consume more of our products. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, the 50% number you put out there, I don't think we have any idea how much of our products are <laughs> good point. Point, right? And so, I, you know, I think about it as, you know, our customers wanted to get value out of the products that they purchased from us. That's why they bought them. We should find a way to help them get that value. So if they're, if they're unable to deploy it, we should call them and say, are you running into a problem? Is there something that we can do to help? And I think that's where customer success, which is also you know, part of global services, that's going to be part of their role is I'm going to get to know the customer really well. I'm going to understand what you bought. I'm going to understand what you've deployed. And I'm going to ask you, is there something else I can do to make sure that you're realizing the value of the products that you purchased? Uh, I thought it wasn't that customers bought things because they wanted to <laughs> I thought it was because some the expert or some amazing community manager managed to convince people that there was, this was something they wanted to have. Then they get it, and they're like, but wait. How do that I do that could be. Maybe, maybe you're right, too. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I don't want to shy away from this uncomfortable conversation. Like, you know, somebody on chat asked about, you know, if this is going to be used for true up. So, like, you know, that is, you know, the question becomes, like, you know, is this a way for VMware to audit me, right? And I've had, I think, two customers that have told me they've been under audit. You know, first of all, like, they're the ones that have to tell me that, like, as a systems engineer. You know, so that, you know, it is one thing, like, 
uh, I don't get informed ahead of time. And uh, the, the thing that I found interesting about it is that there is like a formal process, like a letter has to go to the CIO, um, then we engage with a third party, like, you know, a big three uh, auditing company, like, you know, so KPMG, for example, and they go in and they collect their data using their specific tools. It's not VMware tools, and it's not VMware personnel. So um, I think that, you know, I don't know yeah. that, that, you know, me so, magically saying that, like, makes everybody go, okay, then I'm 100% comfortable. But, right. you know, an audit is a process. And, yeah. it, it, and it's, it provides separation from GS-type activities versus right. trying to determine an audit for licensing. And, and also it's the, right. same, it's the same fear, right? Like, if, if you're worried about global services, um, you know, you know, triggering an audit, then you'd never upload your logs, like, when you, when you had to open an incident. I mean, global services, our role is, you know, to make sure our customers are successful, right? We are, if you look at what our, you know, sort of our vision is, you know, it's all about making sure that our customers are successful with the products that they purchase, right? And so, you know, we are not an audit organization. That's not what this was created for. This was created to dramatically improve the customer's experience. And I think that, like, it does expose some fears and concerns that customers would have, and it would make sense that if we, you know, take that concern back and, and maybe, you know, draw some stronger lines or have have some answers for them, you know, or a policy or something. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I think we will make sure there's a link that you can all have access to where we've posted all of the information around privacy and security. So if anybody wants to go look at, you know, what we're communicating to our customers, it's all there. So it's interesting, are you guys, was there any sessions uh, that covered anything at Skyline and VMworld? Are you guys still baking some of that stuff? When are we going to see more more specifics about yeah, it? Yeah, so we had a booth um, where we showed okay. Skyline. So um, we will have a booth in Europe. We will up. again have a booth That's in right. Europe, yes. And we were a part of TAM Day. And, you know, so we, we participated. We talked to uh, every single one of the customers who came in to share with them, this is what we've done. You might have, uh, if you were there, you got to hear uh, Pat mention the second day at the beginning about Skyline. Yeah. He was responding to a question that was asked about support, but he did make a, a mention of this is what, it, what we've done and this is what it's focused on. And I think that created quite a bit in, of interest with our customers. So we're trying to get the word out. Yeah, and it, it, it is exciting, right? It's a positive thing that I know Scott Betos has come down to the communities team and talked about how do we make the experience for our customers better, right? I mean, I think we've gotten feedback over the years that, you know, there's always room for improvement. Yep. And this is the type of thing that we, if we do this right, um, everybody wins because we all spend less time of our day, you know, administering issues, right, and more time getting to build out more competitive infrastructure. And if you look at the, the main things, I mentioned at the beginning that I, I really am a part of global services to help us leverage technology. This is clearly one place. The other uh, that you mentioned earlier is communities. We want to go in with full feet next year around communities. We really want to make sure that we are participating more fully in communities. So if a customer is looking for an answer to their question, they don't always want to call us. They would like to be able to go find it on the web, and if they can't find it, they'd like to be able to ask through a community, and we will jump in and, and become a bigger part of that. And we're also focusing on expanding our reach around knowledge. So today, you can easily go look for KB articles. You might be able to look in the docs, but we haven't made it easy for you to find blog postings that might have the information you're looking for. We have uh, videos that can help you understand better, uh, maybe an answer to your question. So. For us, those are really the big things that we're going to jump in around technology and try to improve that experience. First of all, if you're looking for an answer, we can help you find it. And best case, we can tell you about a problem in your environment before you ever get it. That's very cool. It's great. It's great. Well, I mean, having you here on a podcast is good because we are the Community Roundtable podcast. I know. It. A, lot of, a lot of the experts are, are interested in this space. Uh, we all make recommendations for uh, all the things that are uh, everybody consumes. So. Great to have you on here. Um, we'll get to have you back in a year or so and see how it's going. Uh, I, one other question I had is on, on beta customers. Have you started to roll this out yet? Uh, or you yeah, said so this is perfect. I wanted yeah, to have yeah. the chance at the end to make sure I pointed you guys. So right. go to Vault. You know, we've got all the information up on Vault. We got the presentation there, and we uh, we've already done our um, 
POCs and our beta. We are live. So what we need to do is we need to get customers to sign up. You can sign up a customer on their behalf. There's a link uh, that you can find involved. We'll right. sign up. Maybe we can also post that. Um, and we made that link available to our customers so that they can go on and they can sign themselves up. We're managing the onboarding initially. We want to make sure that that's a great experience. Right. So we are going to you know, kind of white glove the first handful of customers, and then we'll let the customers start to onboard themselves. We're also doing some work, this is internal, but some work on the back end so that when that appliance connects back to VMware, it's very easy to find the entitlement so that they can go forward with the installation. Um, but what we're doing now is we're trying to build that list of customers that are interested in onboarding. And then we will keep communicating with them and onboard them as fast as we can. Okay, well, great. So uh, we, I know we're going to do some social outbound uh, this week, next week, as we go into VMworld Europe. So we'll try to get some of those links out to people. If they're interested, they can go sign up today. Right? And you guys will reach out and start doing onboarding. And I'm sure you'll prioritize and queue everybody up. Um, sounds, sounds great. Uh, Dale Ferrario, thanks for coming on the Community Podcast. Thanks for coming into the studio. Absolutely. I think it's it's awesome we get people in the studio for dialing in, so I appreciate you. I've always wanted to do a podcast. I listen to podcasts all the time. So <laughs> I think it's the first one I've ever done, which is cool. That's, that's great. Uh, yeah, John, any sorry. last words? Yeah, yeah, my suggestion is, uh, you know, I know that there's already a GSS blog, you know, that it might be interesting to see uh, some of the, the premier, uh, you know, TFCs from GSS, you know, talking about, you know, issues that they're seeing. And it might even be interesting to have a GSS, you know, external facing uh, podcast. But yeah, it's yeah. Uh, ambitious, I got to tell you, ambitious. But um, um, if, uh, if you need me to fly to, to, to Colorado to, uh, to help out, there's absolutely nothing I can do to help. It's all Eric. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We have one last question. What about companies who are U.S.-based but have European subsidies. Is the European portion in or out? So in the short term, uh, the European subsidiaries or data centers will be out. Um, like I said, early next year we'll expand to Europe, at which point we can pull that data as well. Fantastic. All right. Well, that wraps it up for today. We will be in Europe uh, next week. I think we're going to do a podcast with Sanjay Poonin himself, mm -hmm. uh, get his perspective on everything. I know that they did a big deal. They're going to be talking about recording as well. I, what's the is it six figure, seven figure, some huge deal that they've they've done, which uh, Sanjay's been been talking about. Big six figure deal. First one ever. Ooh. I probably shouldn't be saying this, so I don't know if it's announced yet. We're public podcast. We're just <laughs> we didn't say you didn't hear that. Sorry about that. Uh, but we're going to see if we can get Sanjay. No, we're in Europe, so we will not be live. We will be recorded. We are going to record it in Europe, but uh, somebody asked we'll be live on a Wednesday at noon. That would be like 10 o'clock at night in, in <laughs> Europe. So we're not going to do it live. We're going to record it there live and then just publish it on uh on TalkShoe, so you can just listen to it. So uh, looking forward to seeing everybody in Europe. Uh, if you're not going to Europe, uh, well, get some sleep and have some fun and check us out on social. We'll be around. John, thanks a lot. Dale, thanks a lot. Um, and we'll see everybody again next week. Hitting the big red stop button now. <laughs>